Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Today on the program, we're going to continue our coverage of the 2021 Utah Legislature by checking in with several advocacy groups. We'll ask them what their priorities are and what they hope emerges from this session of the Legislature. Later in the hour, we'll be talking with representatives from the Libertas Institute, Utah Health Policy Project, Utah Foundation, Utah League of Cities and Towns, and Crossroads Urban Center. We hope to hear from you as well. You can email us throughout the hour to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. And we begin with the Sutherland Institute. Uh, we're joined by Rick Larson, President and CEO of the Sutherland Institute. Uh, welcome to the program. Thank you, Tom. It's great to be here. Good to have you on. Uh, so remind us what the Sutherland Institute is and what they, what you do. Well, Sutherland, I think, is the uh, oldest think tank in Utah. We've been around for about 25 years. We exist to be uh, a resource to a part-time legislature on complex bills and uh, have a primary focus on issues affecting religious freedom and uh, civics and citizenship. Excellent. Uh, so I assume you'd be especially looking at those areas, religious freedom and uh, and uh, civic citizenship. Uh, uh, is that the case? And are there other areas you'd be paying attention to? Yeah, it's a good question, Tom. So we have a broad institutional knowledge base. So we regu- regularly will be called on issues like public lands and tax policy research and even criminal justice reform. But what we're looking for this year in, in a slightly different session is we're looking for content within bills that affects religious freedom and the education of our children. As you know, and justifiably so, there are a lot of bills on social justice this year. And so we're looking for the content. We're looking for the subtext um, of a lot of the bills that are active right now. Uh, What are your concerns, then, as you're looking for the subtext? What's the concerns? Well, one of, the, one of the things we're a little concerned about, and, and it, parents now know this because they've been watching a lot of their uh, students be educated via Zoom. So we're, we're getting calls about, hey, I just heard the most interesting thing in a civics class. One of the things we're concerned about is that in our efforts to prioritize a broader education, we're losing the basic foundations of, of government and civics. Um, we're of a mind that the curriculum that exists today was incomplete at best. And now if we replace um, accurate and contextual history and civics um, with updated versions, we're going to create citizens and leaders who don't fully understand the nation they live in. So we're looking to push towards a more complete, comprehensive, almost a STEM focus on civics and history education. Interesting. There are some, uh, I guess, difficulties, challenges with uh, with the distance learning, with uh, with online learning. I wonder about. Um, I've I've heard uh, some concerns raised uh, about uh, government's uh, attempts, understandable, laudable attempts to control the pandemic, and how that interacts with religious freedom. Do you have concerns there? Yes. In fact, one of the specific bills that we're watching, the bill file's not open yet. There's a sponsor, but it's not open yet. But we're working on on, on two fronts. One uh, is accommodations for religious holidays and observances in higher education, whereas things are jumbled and up in the air. We don't penalize students for their faith, that they're given the accommodations to to observe their faith. And the second has to do with treating religious freedom as an essential service. Um, which is something that came to the forefront during the initial response to the pandemic. How do you think Utah is doing with that, with regard to that balance? 
You know, I want to give Utah and and most states a little room on this. Um, uh, it's so easy to get angry at responses. The fact is, uh, um, I don't know many of us who have, have had to deal with a pandemic from a public policy stance before. So mistakes were made. Utah in general prioritizes religious practice. Um, and I think uh, the communities of faith were more than willing to step up and monitor themselves, which I think, again, is, is somewhat unique to Utah and a handful of other states. Um, and yet, and yet, there are a lot of people who are, who are still saying, how come I could go to Home Depot and I can't go to church on Sunday? So clearly, uh, we need to learn from this and do better going forward. Whatever happened in the past can only serve to inform us now. But we can do better uh, in prioritizing religious practice. I want to have you maybe uh, briefly talk about, um, you know, civic uh, citizenship, uh, of course, very, very important in relationship to the extraordinary times we're living in. And it seems like increasing polarization and, uh, and you know, we're organizing into tribes and it seems like it's just getting worse. You know, Tom, as uh, as we watch the news, like everyone else, and then dig far deeper, is it, to me there isn't one thing we've seen blow up on the news that wouldn't have been improved or addressed differently with a deeper understanding of civics and citizenship. Even what happened on January 6th at our nation's capital, an understanding of government and civics would would tell you Congress cannot overturn elections. They're, they're under the state jurisdiction, and a vice president certainly cannot overturn an election. Well, a lot of people got upset over the notion that they, that they could, and, and, and violence erupted. But I'll go clear back to the summer. I hope a younger generation does not think the only solution, the only way to facilitate change is by damaging property and protesting in the streets. Um, there is a place for protest. There are also mechanisms in place that we're losing our understanding of to seek redress from the government. And I think it's more critical than ever that, that especially this generation of leaders coming up, that they understand how it was designed to work. There's so much brilliance incorporated into our form of government, and, and we're losing it to activism over citizenship. Are there? You talked about concerns. You're keeping an eye on uh, bills and potential bills. Uh, uh, I guess on the positive side, uh, anything that you hope comes out of the legislature, uh, you know, to, uh, that uh, you would uh, any specifics that you hope would come out. Yeah, well, you know, it's a different session this year, and I'm, I'm sure you're fully aware of this. But there was there was a different limitation on the number of bills, the number of prioritizations. Um, this online, uh, you know, a week of remote, and now we're kind of in this hybrid where they're trying to facilitate live meeting. Um, again, we're always, we are, we tend to be a voice of advocacy for the Utah legislature because in general, I think people don't understand the sacrifice in time um, that, that our well-intended legislators commit to. So we're, we're positive about a new administration and Governor Cox. We're positive about the top line topics of, of bills we're seeing. We think there's a lot of positive activity. Again, our greatest focus is getting into the heart and the meat of bills, um, and is that serving some broader principles that we, we're remaining focused on during this session. All right. Uh, very uh, good. Thank you so much. Uh, Rick Larson, President and CEO of the Sutherland Institute, has uh, joined us as we look ahead to the uh, from the early days of the 2021 Utah legislature. Thanks so much. Thank you, Tom. Great to be with you. Thanks. Appreciate it.
Uh, we're joined now by Michael Melendez. He's Director of Policy with the Libertas Institute. Uh, Michael Melendez, thanks for joining us. Do we have you, Mr. Melendez? Um, I'm here. I can hear you. Uh, okay, great, great. Good, good to have you on. Uh, so uh, tell us first what the Libertas Institute uh, is and does. Um, well, uh, our mission uh, is to change hearts, minds, and laws, uh, looking to build a freer society uh, here in Utah. And uh, we do that by proposing a lot of innovative policy reforms uh, at, the, at the state level. Um, and so we're a think tank uh, located in Lehigh, uh, and we've been around for uh, the last uh, eight years. All right. Uh, so as we look uh, ahead to this uh, session of the legislature, what, uh, what, what sorts of issues do you have your uh, eye on? Well, um, obviously a lot of things are, are shaded by uh, COVID and, and recent events uh, in the last year. Uh, one of our uh, big uh, policy reforms that we're proposing has to do with regulation. Um, a lot of times we just talk about, you know, cutting the red tape and are we actually uh, protecting consumers? Are we just benefiting big business? And so we have found what we think is the right balance to actually help small business and entrepreneurs while protecting uh, the health and safety of consumers at the same time. And that's through a proposal called the Regulatory Sandbox, which basically uh, puts a, a freeze, a temporary freeze, on certain regulations that businesses and regulators have uh, agreed upon, um, and then they kind of try it out. And regulators watch over and propose to legislators uh, should we cut regulation? Should we change the regulation? Um, do certain regulations not fit for this new innovative business model? Uh, that kind of thing. So rather than saying no, you know, the the law says you can't operate this way, um, it actually is a is a maybe. We'll think about it. We'll work through the issues. And would that just be during pandemic times, or would this uh, extend beyond that? No. Uh, we think this would be a great policy uh, no matter what. And uh, I think a lot of times uh, the market is changing all the time, whether it's because of, of a pandemic or other market forces. So there's always issues with technology and current events that cause a business to need to be nimble uh, in changing up what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, what else are you uh, taking a look at at the Libertas Institute as we look at the um, an Another thing we've been taking a look at, uh, you might be familiar with what happened with Banjo uh, last year. Banjo is a, a Utah company. It uh, doesn't really exist anymore. But they got a big contract uh, through the Attorney General's office to build this big dashboard uh, that would use... Uh, government data to kind of track where people were at um, and and look at different uh, hotspots and events. And a lot of people were really uncomfortable with that uh, system. Problem was, there wasn't a lot of oversight. People didn't know what was going on, the public, legislators. And so 
This happens all the time with all kinds of new technologies coming out that law enforcement would like to use. And understandably, they're trying to do their job. And so the bill that we are proposing would basically kind of hit the brakes a little bit and and pause before implementation of these new technologies, uh, whether they be things like uh, new facial recognition software or uh, using uh, DNA to to, uh, do investigations and actually really look and see, is it constitutional? Are we protecting people's privacy rights? What are the guardrails that we need to set up um, before implementing this new technology. So it allows the, the legislature and the public a chance to actually look into and understand the technology before it's adopted statewide. Uh, privacy is an issue I think you've uh, written about, and uh, uh, maybe connect that to the pandemic, to fighting the virus. Have we, in your view, found problems with privacy? That's a that's a, a good point. Um, so, for example, right um, during the pandemic, uh, the state tried to use um, the uh, their the cell phone Amber Alert system that that allows uh, the government to send uh, messages to our phones. Well, they tried to use that when people were entering the state to try to get them to. Uh, sign a, a form and, and do all this stuff. Problem was, people were very uncomfortable with the government knowing who's coming in, who's leaving. Uh, people were getting pinged. You know, if you live near the border of Utah, you just get pinged all the time because of the inaccuracy of the system. Um, and so that's a great example of something where government said, hey, well, let's try to use this technology because of the pandemic for XYZ use case. And we really should take a step back and say, whoa, 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 is this the right way to use this? Are we protecting uh, people's privacy? Uh, one more thing before I let you go. I, I pulled up a list of articles written by you at the Libertas Institute. Uh, this one struck uh, me. I'm just reading the sort of the opening paragraph. Um, as Utah and other states begin to reopen and recover from COVID-19 crisis, we have an opportunity, you say, to reflect on some of the potentially positive outcomes of the massive disruption in education, what are some positive outcomes we look at? Well, I think uh, what you've seen, I think, one, parents have, I think, taken a much greater role in their children's education uh, because of the pandemic, because of that disruption. I think you have a lot of college kids who are thinking about what their life choices should be and weighing the cost of higher education versus what their actual earning potential should be and looking at how they could maybe take a different direction. A four-year degree isn't for everyone, and sometimes I think we're a little too uh, forceful in pushing kids in that direction. Um, It also just the way we uh, uh, teach, uh, having more remote learning, more digital learning is going to be helpful to a lot of the kids in more rural areas uh, who might not have as many options as people in urban areas. So as we develop those technologies and techniques, that's going to help everyone. Well, Michael Mondes, thank you so much. Director of Policy, Libertas Institute, as we look at the uh, legislative uh, session here. Uh, Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. 
Uh, you have just joined us. We are talking to several advocacy groups, research groups. Uh, it, it we're early days, of course, in the 2021 session of the Utah Legislature. We're asking uh, each of these groups uh, what's top of mind uh, for their organization, what they're looking at, and uh, what they hope is an outcome from the legislative session this time around. We're asking the same question of you as well. What are the priorities you think the Utah legislature should have in this 2021 session? UPRAccess at gmail.com is the place to join us, UPRAccess at gmail.com. We bring up next uh, Sean Teagan, Research Director with the Utah Foundation. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks so much for having me on the show. Uh, so uh, tell us, remind us what Utah Foundation is. You know, we are a nonprofit, nonpartisan public policy research organization. So basically, that just means we we get out and we study a whole bunch of different different issues, and and we don't technically do any kind of advocacy work, but we are out here to hopefully educate people around the state so they can have informed decisions when they're having dinner, but also uh, informed decisions when they're when they're uh, maybe making laws up at the Utah State Capitol. So, what are you? Um, uh, what, what are what's top of mind for you? The top couple of issues that you've done recent research on, or, or maybe this this top in your research uh, with people. Yeah, so uh, you know, for for us, one of the things that we're really keeping an eye on is is the are, are the bills related to uh, air quality and uh, teleworking. Uh, so we we just released a report a few weeks ago on on. Uh, Working remotely, and and it's a second report. The first one we released actually way back in April. We we uh, just ju- kind of jumped to it right after the pandemic and and got some research out to to help people kind of navigate that world. Um, and then uh, with this report, we're we're trying to make uh, some of the connections between remote work and air quality. Like, what are uh, the maybe potential benefits? To air quality with telework, and so the, and there there are some bills out. Um, one one that we really um, uh, talk quite a bit about in the report um, is a bill that that looks to say, hey, you know, uh, what's happening uh, with uh, state offices, agencies, departments, and, and divisions around around the state uh, related to like who can work remotely, um, and then during bad air days, how many of those uh, potential. Uh, remote work employees are actually working remotely. So it, it's almost like a, a little bit of a, a nudge to get people working remotely, kind of like that that uh, clear the air challenge that the uh, that the chamber puts on each year. So uh, I guess you see a positive outcome perhaps would be after the pandemic, uh, people, or at least some people, remain working from home. Yeah, yeah. So, so one of the things we found in this report is that that it, it's possible that there will be some long term benefits for those people who stay working, uh, uh, working uh, remotely. Uh, the benefits probably are biggest for like just overall growth, like like uh, how many people you can put onto onto the freeway during rush hour. Um, so if you if you've got some people staying at home, um, there there are some benefits there. There may not be a huge benefit to overall air quality. You know, if you look downtown in Salt Lake City and, and probably large cities around the nation, uh, they're, they're kind of empty. I mean, <laughs> a lot of people haven't come back. But uh, when you look out on the freeways, the freeways aren't in, empty. So what the heck is going on? So so there, people are still getting around in a lot of different ways uh, using the freeways. But but if you can if you can kind of encourage people to say, hey, you know, Maybe you don't usually work remotely, or maybe you usually work remotely one day a week. 
how about when we're expecting bad air quality in in the Cache Valley, uh, along the Wasatch Front, in the Uinta Basin, when, we, when we're expecting some bad air quality days, like during inversion periods in the winter or during uh, ozone periods in the summer, why don't you work remotely then? And, and if, you, if we kind of approach it in, in that way, we suspect from the research that we produced at Utah Foundation that maybe we can see some benefits to, like, to not filling up the, the bowl of, of, of inversion soup with too much uh, particulate matter. Uh, but but you know but but long term people working remotely it may not benefit air quality uh, all that much it might help a little bit um, one one area it would help is our rural communities I mean there's there's a potential for more people saying you know what um, I'm going to move farther away from the office because I only go to the office one day a week or maybe I don't go to the office at all um, and that may benefit some of the rural communities around the state. I'm not sure if you were uh, involved with this particular report. It caught my eye. Um, uh, it's called, uh, a report called Widening the Doors of Hope, Addressing Coronavirus-Related Challenges Among Homeless Service Providers. Uh, yes. I don't know if you're familiar yeah. with any of the points of this. Could tell us briefly. Yeah, so, you know, th- this is a, a report. We actually worked with the University of Utah on this project. Um, what our plan was was to get out and meet with with uh, people experiencing homelessness, mostly um, unsheltered folks, but but also you know people kind of over on the spectrum, um, to understand kind of what their challenges are. Um, that happened right like in March. We had some meetings set up with people that unsheltered homeless, and they're like, oh, you know what, we this isn't going to work. <laughs> so we we switched to say, no, what what can we do to to benefit uh, providers? And, and providers are really. Um, experiencing some some experience, particularly at the beginning, some big challenges, and we're concerned about possibly closing some doors. We did a, a survey um, to understand kind of what their challenges were. Um, but one of the things that they found is that they, uh, just like you know everybody else, uh, they had to adapt and they they had to figure out new ways of approaching um, uh, kind of the interaction with with people um, that are experiencing homelessness. Um, and and I think one of the one of the big impacts was really uh, that uh, we ended up seeing outbreaks in some of these shelters. And and as you find with you know in in uh, places with close quarters like like um, uh, nursing homes and and prisons, you know, and, and uh, you, you get a lot of people together, and you you see a much higher rate of coronavirus, kind of the pandemic. Uh, sweeping through those areas. Um, we have a new report that's going to be uh, coming out in the next couple months, uh, the third report of that series, um, and that's going to that's going to look at oh, some ways of kind of helping uh, overcome some of the gaps in services for uh, those people, particularly for unsheltered homeless. Well, there's a lot you can uh, find at uh, utahfoundation.org. Uh, great research going on, and we've uh, talked briefly here with Sean Teagan, Research Director of Utah Foundation. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks so much. Have a great day. Yeah, you too. Uh, Still to come as we talk with uh, advocacy and research groups uh, uh, in the early days of the 2021 Utah legislature. Uh, After a brief break, we're going to talk uh, with Stacey Stanford with Utah Health Policy Project. Later in the program, we'll be talking with representatives from Utah League of Cities and Towns and with Crossroads Urban Center. Let's take a brief break and we'll uh, be back. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. On the program today, we're continuing our coverage of the 2021 Utah Legislature by checking in with several advocacy and research groups. And we're asking them what their priorities are and what they hope emerges from this session of the Legislature. Uh, we are also hoping to hear from you. What are your priorities? What do you hope the Legislature 
accomplishes this session, what should they have on the top of their calendar? Uh, and you can email us that to upraccess at gmail.com, upraccess at gmail.com. You might also uh, give us suggestions on who you would like to hear on Access Utah. Let specific legislators, specific pieces of legislation, uh, we can spotlight that on an episode or portion of an episode if you would like, upraccess at gmail.com. Uh, we uh, up next uh, are talking with Stacy Stanford, health policy analyst with Utah Health Policy Project. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's good to have you on. Uh, so remind us what the Utah Health Policy Project uh, is and does. Yeah, so we're a nonprofit, nonpartisan group that works on um, health care solutions for underserved Utahns, and we do that on a like micro and a macro level where we do direct service and enroll folks into health insurance and help connect them with providers, and then we do a lot of work on the policy level as well, and that's what we're doing during these 45 days. All right. Well, tell us what you're especially taking a look at, maybe an overview, uh, some of these specific you know, areas within uh, health policy, and then maybe uh, maybe there's some bills that uh, you'd point people to keep an eye on. Yeah, so we're really looking at a lot of mental health bills are running this session. Um, there's a lot of movement on telehealth, and sometimes those two things are combining where it's mental health, telehealth services. Um, we're looking at ways that the Medicaid program is being, you know, maximized to benefit enrollees. Um, and then we're really looking at a trend around um, concern around health care coverage for our children. Um, I'm noticing I want, I'll jump into and the, the very helpful um, bill tracker here on your website, healthpolicyproject.org. Uh, so medical respite care pilot program. Uh, a bill apparently would require the Department of Health to apply for a Medicaid waiver or state uh, plan amendment for medical respite uh, care for homeless individuals. Yeah, so that could be, you know, a great way to to maximize our Medicaid program and maximize some of the efforts that we're trying to make to address homelessness in the state. And so this would provide, you know, those Medicaid funds for the the respite care um, that is provided at, at places like the the in between. You mentioned telehealth, um, and specifically with mental health. Uh, there is a bill here mentioned that would uh, deal with that. Uh, that's got to be, I don't know, higher degree of difficulty. Mental health through I don't know Zoom or or other uh, you know other remote uh, options. Yeah, you know, it's like all healthcare services. It can be complicated to try to navigate where some things like, you know, a, you know, a more simple case of talk therapy might work just fine over telehealth, but then there's more complex interventions that, that you have to get a little bit more creative. And so I like that we're trying to look into these things and maximize the way that we, we offer these telehealth benefits, especially in the, the COVID-19 context. Uh, so what, this, is, uh, this is House Bill 36. What would this do? How would this help? Let's see. So this one, there's so many of them. Yes. They blend yes, together in right. my brain sometimes. <laughs> um, but this is, um, I think it maximizes a grant program, and then it, um, 
Oh, I apologize. I'm not sure on this one. But I know that Senator Escamilla also has another one that's looking at, you know, like telehealth parity with mental health. Mm-hmm. And um, and so this is being looked at from a couple different angles, which I think really makes it more effective to take that, you know, approach looking at it from different perspectives. Yes. Um, and uh, people can go and, and get information here at utahhealthpolicyproject.org. Just look at the uh, build tracker. Um, this one jumps out at me. Uh, House Bill 81, Mental Health Day for Students. Apparently would add mental or behavioral health as a valid excuse for school absence. Yeah, so basically just how you call in sick. You could kind of call in with, you know, I need a, a mental health day. My my kid needs a day to, to relax their emotional and behavioral health needs just like they might need to relax their bodies when they're dealing with a physical illness. So that could be really beneficial to addressing some of the mental health and, you know, suicide crisis that we have in our youth. Yeah, we're hearing that, uh, you know, the suicide, um, instances of suicides have increased uh, during COVID. And, uh, you, you know, we can all Imagine the the reasons, right? Increased isolation and mm-hmm. uh, and decreased access to in person, you know, counseling and other things which might help. Uh, I think there are some bills being run to try to address this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of legislation on the table this session, looking at that kind of crisis intervention and and trying to to support people in that, you know, acute emergency, you know, suicidal crisis, maybe a substance use crisis, something like that, which is very, very important. But we're also concerned with, you know, dealing with these issues a little bit farther upstream and trying to address um, some of these mental health challenges before they become a crisis. And that's really where things like expanding the health care coverage for our children comes in handy, because if kids are uninsured, they can't get that early intervention mental health care, and then they rely more on the crisis intervention. And so if we can expand care and coverage and services earlier on, we're in much better shape down the road. And so that's why it's, um, you know, encouraging to see some movement on expanded health care for children alongside these, you know, crisis intervention efforts. I know Utah Health Policy Project has worked for many years on on coverage, right? Uh, health coverage, insurance mm-hmm. coverage. Uh, where are we now with with that? Are we moving in the right direction? Getting more people covered? Yeah, absolutely. We've made such great progress, especially this year. You know, having our brand new full Medicaid expansion, we have over seventy five thousand Utahns who have gained access to coverage through that program, and we have the, the highest rate of enrollment in the country by percentage increase, and which really just shows the, the great combination of opening up this program for Utahns right at the time when we were having a crisis of unemployment and, you know, a, a health crisis, an employment crisis. We had that safety net in place just in the nick of time. Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to highlight uh, that you're hoping at the UHPP that comes out of the legislature? Yeah, you know, one thing that we're concerned about and kind of watching with a, a concerned eye is a proposal to 
uh, reconsolidate the Department of Health and the Department of Human Services and moving Medicaid to workforce services and kind of revamping these massive departments. And we have a lot of concern about how fast this is moving, especially in the context of the COVID-19 crisis. And so we're trying to advocate for, you know, kind of hitting the brakes on this proposal and and taking some time to really study what are the potential consequences, the cost benefits, and and ways to, to maximize efficiency, but without sacrificing, you know, essential public health voices in the health department and, you know, moving Medicaid more to workforce services, where Medicaid is a health program and should be with the health programs. And so this is something we're very concerned about. And, you know, Governor Cox has a series of stakeholder meetings that are happening. If folks have concerns as well on this issue, they can reach out to us and we can help them, you know, raise their voice on their concerns as well. Uh, just parenthetically there, you, uh, you raise, raise your voice. How best for uh, people to, to get their voice heard at the legislature? I mean, this session is kind of strange with everything being remote, but that opens new doors as well where people can, you know, comment on bills through Zoom this year. And so there really are a lot of ways for people to get involved. And, you know, if they they are concerned about some of these, you know, health policy issues, then by all means, please reach out to, you know, Utah Health Policy Project. You can visit our website, healthpolicyproject.org. And we have a health advocate sign-up sheet right there on the main landing page. And you can sign up to get involved in our work. Well, I appreciate you taking some time. Stacey Stanford, Health Policy Analyst with Utah Health Policy Project. Thank you. And uh, up next, uh, we uh, turn to Victoria Ashby, Director of Government Relations with Utah League of Cities and Towns. Uh, Welcome to the program. Thank you, Tom. It's good to be here. Good to have you on. Uh, So tell us, first of all, what Utah League of Cities and Towns does. Absolutely. So... The League of Cities and Towns represents 248 of Utah's cities and towns, and we work and communicate with the elected council members and mayors in each of those cities to understand the issues facing the cities, um, what they need help with, and how the legislature can assist them in that. Um, so we, we are the liaisons between those local elected officials and the state elected officials in the governor's office and the legislature. So I, I imagine pretty much just about every level of government has been affected. I don't know about cities and towns by the pandemic, but uh, increased services needed. I don't know. Yep, absolutely. Um, you know, this spring was really an interesting time um, for our cities, and I have to really give credit to those local officials. They stepped up. Um, everything from learning how to transition public meetings to Zoom and virtual space to how do you, you know, there was a time where there was concern about processing documents. So how do we quarantine those, but also make sure that the residents who are applying for permits or other things are getting timely service to sanitizing playgrounds. And um, it's really been um, all hands on board and innovative thinking to find solutions that, you know, for problems normally thought about before this year. So uh, you represent all cities and towns, I guess to be the Salt Lake City to what, the most rural of uh, small 
town, wherever you want to say, you know? Yeah, that's right. So towns are a thousand people or less. We represent all the towns up to, yep, Salt Lake City and all the larger cities on the Wasatch Front. Yeah. Uh, so what's uh, what's top of mind as we look at this session of the legislature? There are specific bills you're looking at. What issues are you looking at? So the legislature, as always, is trying to tackle some really big issues, and they're really complex. And the ones on our radar are growth, transportation infrastructure, um, the affordable housing crisis, and economic development. And really all of these come together. For example, as we as a state try to encourage economic development and be um, attractive to businesses, that brings new employees in who might want to move to the state. Where are they going to live? And are they making a wage that they can afford to actually live here in the state? And Going along with that, transportation, you know, everyone can't commute to work on I-15. I'm one of those people. I commute from Riverton to Salt Lake, um, and there are some challenging mornings on I-15. So how do we make sure we've got the right kind of transportation infrastructure to handle the growth that is coming to our state? Um, oftentimes with the legislature, we find ourselves trying to um, find a really delicate balance between the role of local government and state government. So the legislature is looking at the big picture across the state, but we at the League of Cities and Towns feel that those local officials can be partners and are also more aware of what's going on with the unique circumstances in their communities. So we're trying to educate the legislature because sometimes the legislature likes to get into local government. They start to look like mayors and council members. Um, and they tr look at bills that make sweeping changes across the state that don't necessarily work from community to community. So part of our job at the League is to help the legislature respect that local government role, but also help the state be successful. Yeah, a recent example, this isn't a city or town, but it's uh, kind of local. The legislature got involved with the uh, Salt Lake City uh, School District. Yeah, that, that is a very good example. Um, you know, and the state provides a lot of money to the school district, but at the same time, in Utah, we generally have a sentiment that smaller government is better. And so if you're a school board or a city council, um, what decisions should be left to that, those individuals elected by the residents in their community? Uh, one, I'm on your website, um, ulct.org, Utah League of Cities and Towns, uh, one issue that uh, you have listed is wildland fire. Yes, so that's an issue that um, we've looked at a lot. Um, it impacts the counties and the cities. Um, fires, as as our you know our state gets hotter, we are finding fires creeping up every summer, and they are incredibly expensive for these communities to fight at times. Um, and they range everything from, you know, how are we handling our water resources to the interface between urban growth and rural. So as our cities grow, um, they're bouncing into areas that um, necessarily don't have fire prevention in them. And then fireworks, you know, um, our state has over the past few years changed laws governing fireworks, but they do tend to cause fires. And so what is the right balance between, you know, that urban growth interface to 
fireworks and how do we help these local communities that are having to bear some of the big costs of fighting these fires. Hmm. Uh, is there anything else you're, you're at the Utah League of Cities and Towns that you're taking a look at with the legislature? So, um, again, housing is a big issue we're looking at this year. Um, there are bills that um, we're working on with the sponsors that we do have concern about their um, intrusion into local decision-making, but at the same time, you know, the legislature is trying to find a way to tackle the housing issue. Um, one of those bills is HB 82. It allows internal accessory dwelling units, which is a really complicated way of saying mother-in-law apartments. We're working with the sponsor on that. Um, another bill would change the authority of cities to inspect homes as they're being built. And one of the key roles of cities is to protect the health and safety and welfare of its residents. And, you know, we're concerned about the, um, losing the opportunity of a third party, which would be the city, to inspect a home before a resident moves in. And some of the arguments we've heard for this bill is that um, cities get in the way of building houses faster, um, cost more expensive. But the truth is that the housing crisis is a, multi is a multifaceted problem. Um, the city expense in building a home is relatively small compared to the monumental increase we've seen in the cost of labor, materials. Um, Utah's a great place to live. We're seeing a lot of land speculation and land shortage, and also wages haven't necessarily come up. So we're hoping the legislature will, instead of focusing on the public sector to fix the housing crisis, because cities don't build homes, they plan for them, but they don't build them, we're hoping we can work with the legislature to really take a big look at all the factors that go into housing. Um, a couple other bills, there's a bill, SB61, on billboards that would um, prohibit a city from stopping a billboard from turning into an electric billboard. Um, that goes to our central land use authority, and billboards are different in each community, so we're talking um, with the stakeholders on that. And then law enforcement has been a big issue this year, and most police are hired by uh, cities, and so we're working with some stakeholders on looking at public safety. Well, that's, uh, that's a good overview. Thank you so much. We've been talking with Victoria Ashby, Director of Government Relations with the Utah League of Cities and Towns. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, let's take another brief break. And when we come back, uh, we'll be talking with Bill Tibbetts with the Crossroads Urban Center. Um, and that's following this. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams, and uh, we're talking with advocacy and research groups, asking them what their priorities are, what they hope emerges from this session of the Utah legislature. We're just uh, in the first week still, I think. Of, or sec I, It all runs together more early in the legislature, I can tell you that. And uh, now we bring in Bill Tibbetts, Associate Director of the Crossroads Urban Center. Thanks for joining us. Hey, th thank you for having me. Uh, so tell us, remind us what Crossroads Urban Center does. Okay, Crossroads Urban Center um, is uh, has been uh, since 1966 has been helping uh, low-income families in the Salt Lake area with food and clothing. We have two food pantries and, and uh, a thrift store where we give away 11 clothing items for every one that we sell. We also have uh, advocacy projects that try to reduce the number of people who need our services. So we, um, 
We have a project called the Coalition of Religious Communities that brings together, uh, there are a lot of different uh, congregations that donate food and clothing to our food pantries and thrift stores, and we uh, created the Coalition of Religious Communities to help them have a voice on, on issues of uh, that cause hunger and homelessness and, and poverty in our state. Uh, has uh, has the demand for your services increased during pandemic times? They have. Uh, we have seen. A, I mean, we've had we had to close temporarily, and and uh, like a lot of other entities, and we're um, when we reopened, there was a huge, there was an increased demand for food. There's been uh, an increase. Uh, it's. Um, Yes, I mean, absolutely. Uh, I know in previous conversations we've talked a lot about um, health coverage. Where we, I just asked uh, Stacey Stanford of Utah Health Policy Project. Uh, she you know, mentioned, of course, that full Medicaid expansion. She's happy about that. Uh, where are we with uh, coverage for people and what needs to be done next, do you think? You know, I, I think it's an interesting thing because we have a prescription assistance program and we used to run out of our funds for that every month, and we have not done so for a really long time, and it's because of Medicaid expansion. We have uh, the the num- people who we serve um, with the passage of the Affordable Care Act. Right away, there were people, you know, when there were people who were eligible for premium assistance, they were above the poverty level, and then when we expanded um, to, full, you know. Everyone who came here had was eligible for some sort of health care plan, and, and that has really changed uh, the way we, you know, the lives of the people we see. Um, so homelessness, I know you work on that. Uh, it, are improving, getting worse? What, what are you seeing? You know, I, I, think, um, I think that we are seeing an unprecedented number of people camping outside. I think you're seeing... You know, an unprecedented number. I mean, and this this goes across um, across the, the 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 spectrum of people who are homeless. I think you're seeing an increase in uh, survivors of domestic violence sleeping in cars. You're seeing an increase of families with children sleeping in campers. I think, um, and so there is there is more visible homelessness and and more invisible homelessness or less visible homelessness than uh, there has been at any time that I since I started working at Crossroads in, in almost 20 years ago so you, yeah this is we're in a bad spot with mm-hmm. homelessness do you think this is due to uh, decreased stresses socially and economically from the pandemic I think before the pandemic began you know we had a situation where for 20 years uh, rent the price of rent had been growing twice as fast as the average wage and this was particularly f- true for for people at the bottom of the income spectrum. And, and when you look at the average renter household, household earns half with half of what the, the average household in, in Salt Lake County and in the state earns. So, you know, when we talk a lot about area median income and, and housing policy, and the average renter earns half of the area median income. So, um, you know, when when rent prices go up. It, Every year, and your wages don't go up, or they don't go up as much. It, more and more households just get put closer and pushed closer and closer to the edge. And then, with the pandemic and people having work disrupted, um, 
that accelerated things, but we were already in a really bad spot when you look at issues of housing affordability, housing stability for too many people. And I, I think, I mean, we focused a lot on, on families with children um, because the cost for two- and three-bedroom apartments is, is higher. But I think uh, that's another group that hasn't got as much attention it deserves is, is seniors because, you know, so many seniors have a fixed income there and, and they've, you know, like you, the apartment that they could afford for 20 years is suddenly costing, you know, twice what it did five years ago. Um, I mean, and so you're see, we're seeing more and more uh, homelessness with um, and and like housing crises with with seniors in our, our community, which is something that's also new. We just have about a minute left uh, here, but it is is there a specific ask, uh, a top thing that you would ask of the legislature that would would really help? The legislature needs to start investing in affordable housing. They they put $10 million into affordable housing in the, in last year's legislative session, and then they took $5 million out in May because they were, they were concerned about how the impact of the pandemic, um, you know, how the impact, the pandemic was going to impact the budget. They need to actually, the original version of the bill that they, that put the $10 million in originally had 15 I think that they need, we would say that the, this is a year that the budget is better than anticipated. There's possible. There's a strong possibility that the second round of federal stimulus is coming. So we would say they, they should try to put. They should find a way to put 20 million into affordable housing this year. Well, very good. Uh, we'll uh, we'll track that, of course, along with everything else the legislature is uh, doing. And um, you can uh, check out Crossroads Urban Center, CrossroadsUrbanCenter.org. Bill Tibbetts, Associate uh, Director of the Crossroads Urban Centers joined us. Uh, thanks. We appreciate you coming on. I right, thank you so much for taking the, including us in this conversation. Yes, uh, uh, always happy to do it. And right. uh, love to get your email, love to hear what your priorities are, maybe your suggestions on what we should devote a full episode uh, focusing on the legislature on. What's the top issue that you'd like to hear about? Upraccess at gmail.com, upraccess at gmail.com. And thanks so much for listening to Access Utah today. By the way, before we go, uh, just mention tomorrow, um, you're seeing much in the news, uh, Russia, the unrest there, the protests, the jailing of uh, the, uh, the prominent dissident uh, Alexei Navalny. We're going to shine a spotlight on Russia, and we'll talk with the former Moscow bureau chief for NPR, Corey Flintoff. He'll be joining us tomorrow. Hope you join us then. Thanks for joining us today.